Hey y'all, it's Bud. I wanted to thank you for making Barton and Bud such a success. With your listenership, we became one of the most popular college football shows in only eight months. But with Barton gone, we have a lot of holes to fill as a company. One of those is on the Cover 3 podcast. And I'm happy to let you know that I'll be bringing my analysis to the Cover 3 podcast, both in regular appearances and in helping to set the table behind the scenes. We'll also be taking some of your Barton and Bud mailbag questions on Cover 3 since Apple finally updated its review section. We'll be dropping some Cover 3 episodes into this feed for a while, so you can get the feel for it. But please do subscribe to Cover 3 now, because at some point in the future, this feed might get repurposed. Thanks again, guys, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. That is Bud Elliott. Bud Elliott, 24-7 Sports. Uh, welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast. You have been... Uh, no, you've been an anchor on uh, what we refer to as the Mistress Podcast for our good friend uh, Barton Simmons uh, from time to time. But we are very excited because uh, we're gonna get, we're gonna merge our families, right? Like we're all coming together into this new beautiful blended family, and uh, and we're we're really excited about it. So uh, welcome. We got a lot to get to today, but I do want to start. Tom and I got a chance to weigh in. Instant reaction. So before we really do the the turning the page activity, which is our main order of business, like Bud, you, we had uh, Tuesday to kind of digest everything. We're sitting here recording Wednesday morning. What are some of your like lingering thoughts that you can't shake out of your head uh, on the heels of that Alabama title game win? I, I think the, the main thing I have is just all, all the different ways that Bama found to, to get favorable matchups for Devontae Smith. I mean, every matchup is favorable, but him on Tough Borland. Uh, I just I don't even need to see Tough Borland. If if you tell me I got Devontae Smith on Tough Borland, that name, I'm taking that every single day. I, I just I thought they were really creative in that aspect. And I I do think that Ohio State had some stuff for Clemson that they had not had to show in many of their games. A lot, a lot of the you know formation into the boundary stuff to see how Clemson would react to that, since we know Clemson calls their defense to the field. And uh I just think that they they showed a lot of their hand. And Nick Saban and his staff had 10 days to, to go over that. And sometimes your your first surprise is, is the best one. I don't know they had another another counter to throw at them. I uh, I was, you know, it's, I thought Ohio State got outcoached, clearly, their defensive game plan. I don't know if there is a lot of solutions, but having tough Borland on Devontae Smith should not be one of them. <laughs> so, like, I thought it was – I thought it was a masterpiece. I'm, I – of course, this is me just – unwilling to admit that I was wrong and Tom was laying the points with uh, Alabama, but I do like me when when Trey Sermon went, Oh, you, that's right. That's right. Me and you, Tom, we're on the same page. Ship had it right. We're idiots. Yeah. We're the idiots. I I did have a sense though. I mean, my key to the game was Trey Sermon. And when he got knocked out, it felt very similar to when Colt McCoy got knocked out and the, you know, way long time ago with Texas. I was like, I thought it was that significant. I was like, uh Oh, I'm like, they're in big trouble from this moment on. Um, probably. And uh, you know, if you would have waited till the last minute, seen a couple defensive linemen out for Ohio state and that, you know, probably that's why the line was moving up in a way as we got closer. 
but it was just, it's everything that we thought we were going to get from Alabama. I just didn't, I didn't, I thought Ohio state would have more success offensively. I thought they would have at least put up the points to at least keep it entertaining, which it wasn't. Um, but it kind of was, was like there was in, in, the, in the third quarter when yeah. there was the long drive that ends in a field goal and then Ohio State scores in three plays and it was like two long passes to Garrett Wilson and one long Justin Fields run. I think that cuts it to two touchdowns and you're like, okay, but then they just weren't going to get the stops on the other side. Yeah. So, I mean, it was dominant. I mean, it's the conversation really shifted pretty quickly because the game was such – uh, you know, just a blowout that the conversation quickly became, is this the greatest team ever? Which is, you know, now what everyone's kind of compare this team to last year's LSU team, to some of the great historical teams. And they are absolutely worthy of it. And I, you know, a game that brings Nick Saban to tears or a team that brings Nick Saban to tears should speak volumes about what they've accomplished. And then it kind of goes back to the unique nature of this season and, 10 SEC games, regular season schedule, you know, going through the SEC championship, blowing out both opponents in the, in the playout, not blowing out, but you know, significantly not never being in jeopardy of losing either game. Um, It's definitely in the conversation. And then I do, I agree with Nick when he said, Hey, what we had to deal with, with COVID is something that no one else hopefully ever has to go through again. And nobody ever has in history. It's remarkable uh, for them to have that much success and consistency and domination where they're absolutely deserving of every accolade that, you know, anybody wants. And anybody wants to make case for them for the best team ever. Uh, it's, it's a really tough argue, you know, to try to make a case against that. LSU was better last year. <laughs> All right. That's my whole case. I, I think I'm I on Tom's so side. Too. Okay. Yeah. Elaborate. I, I, I think LSU, I, I know we heard the Bama 10-game schedule stuff, but I even so, I think the schedule that LSU played last year was tougher. I, I'm not convinced the rest of the SEC this year was as good as it was in 2019. Like, I, I think, I mean, congrats. You played another game against Kentucky, Missouri. Missouri. Right, like, right. I mean, that that's not really a threat when we're talking elite teams. Uh, I, I think the 10-game SEC schedule is tougher when we're talking about sort of the the mid-grade teams where, where you can get tripped up again, right? We saw that with the disappointing records with South Carolina and, and Tennessee and, and those type of teams where, you know, shoot, not being able to play, you know, Louisiana Monroe because you're having to play another game against Miss State or Kentucky, that, that's a big deal. But uh, for, for Bama, I, I just don't think their schedule was as tough uh, as, as LSU's was in 2019. So that means uh, is it's the more deserving Probably because we've got, you know, like Bill Connolly rolled out the historic SP plus and he's got it. Uh, what well, was the best, right? The best SP plus in history. It was, but I, I think we, I, you don't need to asterisk the championship, but you might want to asterisk the claim of like most dominant ever. Like those Notre Dame teams after world war two, when they were using the GI bill to basically pay everybody. And you know, like they, <laughs> they, they, they gave up 17 points in an entire season yep. like that. That's, you know, that should be kind of asterisk as well. Um, just unique circumstance. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, well, let's uh, let's begin the page turning with Alabama because Steve Sarkeesian's off to Texas. He had his introductory press conference, um, and we might get to the Longhorns a little bit later as well. I believe we have not officially made Bill O'Brien the new offensive coordinator, but that seems to be in the workings, widely reported, and I haven't seen it be refuted. So my, my burning question to get us started with the Crimson Tide moving forward is, is – or do you have any hesitation believing that Bill O'Brien 
in Bryce Young. Bill O'Brien, can he unlock Bryce Young? And can Bryce Young... Uh, and, you know, Jaleel Billingsley, John Mechie third, uh, Brian Robinson, and still a pretty deep running back room. Can they not even, like, match, but can they maintain the standard such that we call Alabama's offense elite and one of the best in the country? I think so. I mean, if if we look at Steve Sarkeesian, who's, you know, he's now the head coach at Texas and he was like the hot name. He was the hot offensive coordinator. It's not like Steve Sarkeesian came to Tuscaloosa. He was seen as a good offensive coordinator, got a smart offensive coordinator. It's not like he was viewed as some sort of offensive genius savant that is going to unlock this potential in Alabama's offense. I think Bill O'Brien is a good offensive coordinator. We saw it in his career before he took over at Penn State. We saw what he was able to do with Christian Hackenberg at Penn State. And as a coach, I think Bill O'Brien's always been perfectly fine. I think where Bill O'Brien, you know, the narrative around it changed was when all of a sudden he got a bunch of power in Houston as the general manager of the Texans as long as well as the head coach. And he completely screwed that team up when you gave him that kind of power. But when it sticks to just coaching ball, I think Bill O'Brien's perfectly fine. And I think he's stepping into a situation where it's not all that dissimilar from what Steve Sarkeesian had or from what Lane Kiffin had. He's got more talent than everybody else. And I think Bryce Young is a very talented quarterback who probably would have been starting at a lot of other schools this year if he hadn't been behind Mac Jones and Mac Jones hadn't played so well from the get-go and never really gave him a chance to take over the job. So I, I think that we're going to see a situation where as long as Alabama has the talent advantage that it has, and again, you know, it's been recruiting like this the 2017 class now that was a big part of this title team is considered one of the best recruiting classes. Well, Alabama's had a couple better recruiting classes since as far as the ratings are concerned. So I don't think the talent's going to drop off. And I think that this is a situation going forward where if you look at the rest of the SEC, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it as the show goes on, like Bud was just talking about, this really wasn't the best SEC we've seen. This was a pretty mediocre conference for a lot of it, aside from at the top. And I don't look around the conference right now and see a lot of quick fixes. I see a lot of teams who are probably still going to be kind of eh, going into next season. Maybe LSU gets better. I think Texas A&M is a threat. I think Georgia will be a threat. I think Florida will be a threat. But other than that, I don't see anybody really approaching Alabama, even with all their losses and with the coaching changes. So I think going into next year, Maybe they're not scoring 50 points a game. Maybe they're only scoring 45. I, I'm a believer in Bryce Young, right? I, I've, mm. I've seen him in person. I've seen him in person a lot. I mean, he he played at, at the highest level in California and tore it up. He played on like the most competitive seven-on-seven circuit, absolutely tore it up. I know guys on the Bama staff who, who tell me that he lights it up all, all the time on scout team, kind of like the reports that we had early in the season about, about you know, about DJ at Clemson. Uh, he was the number one player on 24-7 sports for a reason. He's just, he's really good. He's really accurate. And importantly, I think he's not one of these projection types where it's not like a Josh Allen thing where it's like, Hey, he's got a huge arm and he's really athletic. No, like Bryce is accurate in stride, knows where to go with the ball. I mean, his, his arm is not what DJ's is. He's more, I think he's more of a finished product than DJ is, which kind of gives me some confidence that he can step in, you know, early, right. He's not just one of these toolsy projection types. If I have a worry about Bama, it's not the OC because basically everybody that Saban has hired post Kiffin post his, is this what we want football to be? Fine. I'll do it. And you know, like you you got your 280 pound guard going downfield 10 yards. I got my 330 pound guard going, you know, going downfield and then knocking your safety out as I throw a post route over his head. Uh, My only real concern here, I think is, is the pieces around Bryce young. Um, 
the receiver class Bama just signed is really, really good, right? It's They have like four of the top ten receivers in the country coming there. I don't know that the, the last two receiver classes for them are, are quite up to their standard, and they are losing a really, really special offensive line. So I think Bryce can do it. I just have a little bit of questions about the guys around him, but I, I still put him number one. Yeah, I um, Spencer Rattler, the guy you know coming in with a lot of expectations, sat a year, came in, and we saw him right there. I would expect a similar type of rise uh, for Bryce Young from everything you've heard and seen from him. I think you know one of the reasons I picked Bama in the preseason was because it's the year, the kind of the time to get on board with Bama is when they fall short, right? Like that's when you they're angry, they're focused, and as great a job as Nick Saban does. It is human nature to kind of let off the gas a little bit, like especially in college when we've seen how Ohio State had the Clemson score in their locker room the whole game from the playoff. Like what does Bama put in their weight room to motivate them? You know, like and, and Nick Saban, they're not going away, but I just feel like. It's the time. If you were going to look for an opening, it would be this year with all the surrounding pieces, the question marks, with all that talent that's going to be gone off to the NFL draft. Um, all these, you know, the issues that are there. Yes, they'll be younger, but is there, uh, a t- I think the bigger question is who can be that team that, you know, that takes advantage of a potential not as great Alabama team. Um, and that's what's harder to find. Like, I think Georgia... National, is, nationally or in the SEC? And no, sometimes those the are the same. Alone. Okay. In, in, only in the SEC alone. Um, you know, Texas A&M has to replace Kellen Mond. Like, they've got their own issues. Um, LSU, like, they're, I mean, yeah, they'll be good, but are they going to be right back to where they were in 2019? I don't, I don't know. I no. got to see more of that. Auburn's replacing a coach. Ole Miss and Mississippi State are kind of, you know, evolving, but they're not there yet. So I, I still would say Alabama's going to win the West, and then can a Georgia or Florida knock them off? And I would probably be more bullish on Georgia from what we did see out of JT Daniels, from their top three pass catchers being back, from a defense that you can kind of just trust that's going to reload with Kirby. So I think we might be getting back to the – and I, I'm not as bullish on Florida as I was this season with the losses there. And who knows what happens with Dan Mullen. But I would say, hey, is this Georgia's year to – you know, to kind of rise up again and to, to take advantage of it and finally get past that hurdle. It's Alabama. You know, you know what they're going to have on the wall at the weight room, Danny, they're going to have, <laughs> they're going to see, they're going to look around at all these two early top 25s. They're going to have Dennis Dodds <laughs> top two early top 25, having, having Alabama at number four and other team people having them at like two, three or four, not having them at number one, like five minutes after saying this was the best team of all time. That's what's going to be on Alabama's weight room walls every single day. They only think we're the fourth best team in the country kids. So all right, who is it, Georgia or Florida? I'm not going to, I I'm not ready to entertain an LSU argument unless someone can make it in terms of being able to close the gap with Alabama. I mean, getting back to your LSU standard, yeah, I, I would think that we see 5-5 five and five or a 500 season as an anomaly, but I, I don't see anybody else in the division. Or if you want to make the Texas A&M argument, I'm willing to hear that too. But I think that right now, and again, January 13th, uh, I think that right now uh, I'm looking at this mostly from a uh, Georgia probably, but a Georgia or Florida argument in terms of who is in that next up to take down the tide? You know, I, I think that when I look around, I, I feel like this A&M team, Kellen Mond was a good quarterback for the Aggies this year. But I also feel like that was a very talented team. And with Kellen Mond at quarterback, 
they could only go so far. So I feel like with the Aggies, if they get the right QB in that situation, in that offense next year, I do think that they're talented enough to maybe not be Alabama or beat Alabama, but to challenge Alabama truly. And I don't mean just in the finishing in the number five spot in the poll. I mean, to be a team that you look at and think, all right, they're not going to lose by 28 to the tide. So I, I think that's what I'm going to keep an eye on for the Aggies going into next year. And that's kind of why I'm, I'm with you a little bit, Danny, as far as the Georgia, Florida side of it. I think that I know what I got with JT Daniels and that offense going forward with Florida. They're losing so much on that offense, as well as the quarterback Kyle Trask, you know, and his top targets and his top weapons that they've had that there's still more questions for me about who's going to fill in that spot and who's how they're going to be able to pick up that slack. I think that with Dan Mullen in charge, they'll still have a good offense. It's just I don't know if they're going to have the kind of offense that we saw this year that can test Alabama with that that kind of vertical passing attack. It's going to be interesting to see what direction they go. I think Tom hit it on the head with, with the need to have explosive plays and be able to be able to trade home runs with with Alabama, right? Like one of the reasons why I didn't think A and M had any kind of shot to beat them this year is because that's a that they had the biggest gap in the nation basically between you know like down to down efficiency and explosiveness. And so I, I was talking with our, our friend Bill Connolly about this. Jimbo Fisher's offense is passing explosiveness rating since Jameis left. It's going in one direction and it ain't a good one. Yeah. Check this out. 78th, 63rd, 61st, 97th, 118th, 108th. So three years in A&M, 97th, 118th, 108th. Now, I think a lot of that is that they had receivers opt out and get hurt this year, but Mon's not that good. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he's that big of a loss for them. He he doesn't hit guys in stride. You know, that they, they don't really get a, a ton of yards after the catch. My concern is they're not going to be as good down to down next year. They have to hit start hitting some home runs. They, they can't just put together all these singles and walks because they're losing four offensive line starters off you know, the, the group that almost won the Joe Moore Award. But I, I think that defense is nasty. The Maroon they, Goons. The Maroon Goons, which average 6'5", 330 up and down the line. I mean, it's a ridiculous and, offensive line. And I think we said this uh, earlier, a week ago, about Texas A&M, where when Jimbo came to Florida State, he's like, I'm going to build an SEC-type program. But this is – about 15 years now, like it's going, we're getting pretty far removed from when he was there. I don't know exactly the year that was when Alabama was winning with an average quarterback and great defense and strong run game. Well, that's exactly what Jimbo Fisher is now building at Texas A&M. Does that style work? It's what Kirby has tried to do. And now Kirby's finally coming around trying to get more innovative and explosive on offense. I haven't seen Jimbo because he's his own play caller. I haven't seen him be willing to take that step and try to get more aggressive, to try to get more explosive. I think he's still in the mindset, hey, I won a championship this way. I can do this. I can be a, build a great defense, the recruiting. Elko's got a, done a great job. They are really good. And I can just bring my offense, running the ball, play action pass, methodically getting it down, uh, down the field, and I can win a championship that way. And I don't know if that works anymore in 2021. So, Danny – in your opinion, it's not that the offense is less explosive, just the rest of the sport has become more explosive around it? Yes. Agreed. And I think that was the same thing that played Kirby. Like, I think that's why Kirby has tried to bring in Todd Munkin and, and move away from a more traditional offense. And it doesn't – it's not – 
it's not like night and day. You do have to implement some wrinkles, and I just haven't seen those wrinkles in Jimbo's offense. Uh, Bud, what does the Texas A&M quarterback room look like through your eyes? Because in the, in terms of like the recruiting cycles, the sophomore class had a pretty good season, was a, a big piece. And like the, the headliners that you look at on each side are Isaiah Spiller and DeMarvin Leal. But uh, I thought that there were a lot of key contributors that were able to, after flashing a little bit, start to have a real impact on that team's success. Like, do you feel, uh, do you have any one player that stands out to you or how do you feel about that quarterback room in terms of being able to guide the Texas A&M offense next season? Yeah, so I think it's going to be a battle between two guys who are, are pretty similar players, at least, you know, at, at last check in, in Zach Calzada and and uh, Haynes King. So big armed athletic guys, you know, needed time to work on recognizing defenses, hitting dudes in stride, you know, b- being accurate. Um you know, Jimbo definitely has has a tight when he picks quarterbacks. He he falls in love with tools, and he, I think he's a very good quarterback coach. He believes he he can get them there. He had a really nice run of it at Florida State. His you know some of his recent picks haven't gone so well. You know with DeAndre Francois and DeAndre Johnson and uh, you know, some other guys who who flamed out. But they have the physical tools. We'll just see how ready they can be. I I think a lot of it's going to come down to some getting some help from those young receivers. Anaya Smith is back too. I just with quarterback. We'll, I guess we'll see. Defensively, they they're going to be nasty though. They, they return almost everybody of consequence. They were what 14th in SP plus this year defensively. They they're probably a top five, top eight type defense next year, unless I'm missing something. Are they a top five or top eight type team for y'all? I think they're definitely going to start there. <laughs> <laughs> Finishing there as always is going to be much more difficult. But I mean, I I, I think that this is a t- you know, I don't know how much. I think the momentum heading into the offseason is something that is always overstated for most teams. But I think that the way that they finished having their, you know, their only loss being to Alabama, you know, getting that win over Florida, finishing the season strong, finishing it with a major bowl win over North Carolina. I think that at least sends you into the offseason with confidence and thinking, hey, okay, we're not that far away. If we work a little bit harder this offseason and we fix some things. We can compete for the SEC. We can compete for a playoff berth because they were that close to it this year. So I think in that case, yeah, there, there's reason to be optimistic about them next year for sure. It's just it's as always. It's like being in the top ten. We we kind of we talked about this a little bit last week. It gets dismissed a little too easily now in the playoff era, where it's like you're either a playoff team or you suck. And I think that it people forget and don't understand how difficult it is to fi- be in a top 10 team every year and to finish in the top 10 and like, you know, how happy you should probably be if your team's finishing at number five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever it is, because it's difficult to do. So I think that Texas A&M is 100 percent a team that is probably a top 10 team next year. But you can't just assume it with anybody aside from, you know, the typicals before we leave. uh Man, like I, I always, you know, we try to be an equal opportunity podcast here and, and spread out the love. But damn, we spent twenty minutes here on the SEC. We haven't even gotten to like a Florida or an LSU well, to, what? or a Georgia or a Georgia. Like what? Yeah. All right, bur- burning. Uh, like what's of of those sort of teams and some of the burning questions going into the off season. Uh, Bud, why don't you take the honors first? Like which. Where, where are you looking? Like what? What are the storylines that you're following and and that you think that either throughout spring practice or, you know, over the next couple months you think could be very defining in terms of whether or not those, any of those teams uh, go into 2021 and are in a better position to uh, have some success. 
I, starting with Georgia, I, I think Georgia got some really good news on on Sunday when, when Jamari Sellier announced he's going to come back. They they had the number one defense in the country this year, according to kind of the you know, opponent adjusted stuff, which includes yeah, Bama torched them and and, and Florida got them got them pretty good as well. But even still, like those teams did that to pretty much everybody. I thought the offense was a lot better with JT Daniels. I think as opposed to like a Will Muschamp or Jeremy Pruitt. Kirby Smart actually recognizes the need to score points. Even though they didn't score that many points, I think he at least was trying to change the offense based on on the hire of Munkin. I think that's going to be a nasty front seven. The offensive line should be better. You get all your pass catchers back. Daniels is going to be healthy. My only real concern for them is the secondary. They lose a lot of important pieces to the NFL with you know Eric Stokes and I think Tyson Campbell. Is, is, he's announced he's going to, right, I believe. Um you know, we'll see mm-hmm. about about the transfer of, of Tyreek Stevenson if he does leave. I want to see the emergence of, of Keely Ringo, who was our number two rated corner uh, in last year's class. He, I believe, he hurt his knee or, or Achilles. Uh, didn't get, really get to play this year. He's coming back. That's my concern for for Georgia's the secondary. But Kirby Smart's a secondary guy. Like if if anybody can coach him up, he can. That's just that's what I'm watching for them. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be huge for Georgia because. With JT Daniels last year transferring, coming off the knee injury, you know, there were no spring practices or anything for anybody last year. So he kind of came in without a chance to get to work and he was, you know, he had to rehab still his knee. And I think having the spring, being able to practice with the team and probably, you know, install some new offense and stuff and get just that kind of preparation for the season that he just didn't have this year. I think that's going to have an impact on what Georgia can do just from the jump next year. Once the season gets going as far as elsewhere in the East with Florida, I think it's going to be interesting to see is Emory Jones going to step into the same offense we saw this year from the Gators, or is Dan Mullen going to have to cater his offense a little bit differently to Emory Jones and his strengths? And how will that impact Florida's ceiling? How will that impact him against Georgia and as an SEC title contender? And then elsewhere, I mean, I I feel like LSU has to be better, but I don't know that it will be. So 500, do you think is... Like you're no, definitely I, taking. I, I think they're better than 500 because I think having their non-conference schedule will help get them some get them to like eight and four maybe. It's just I think within the conference, I just I, I don't see like something. I don't see one thing that they could fix and everything's back to normal. You know what I mean? I, I feel like there's a lot of things that they need to tend to, and it'll be interesting to see if they can do that all in one off season. What do you think, Danny I, or Bud? Go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I was looking at the schedule and seeing that Georgia-Clemson game uh, September 4th is going to be insane. Like, it's going to be a ton of fun. Um, I'm bullish on Georgia and more bearish on Florida. Um, just, you know, re- replacing quarterback, Emory Jones, we've seen him in spots. Um, you know, I think he apps, I, but Dan Mullen, that is one area where you can trust. I think he's one of the better, I mean, clearly he's a quarterback guru, but I think he's one of the better offensive minds that does cater his offense to his quarterback's ability. So you kind of feel like there's a trust there. Um, but I just, I, I, anytime there's a new quarterback, I get a little tentative. The defense wasn't very good. Uh, are they going to address that issue? Uh, are you still going to see Mullen screaming at Todd Grantham on the sideline, you know, like throughout the next season, but I would, how's he still coaching? That. I thought Florida right. fans wanted his head. Like they, thought, they do, but still? but I, I never, I thought it was a premature. I don't think it was about Todd Grantham. I thought it was about defensive line. Like they just didn't have the studs that they've had in your pa- in years past. Um, so they'll have to address that. Um, LSU, I would say they're probably, like, if I was picking an order right now for SEC West, it would probably be Bama, A&M, 
LSU, Auburn, like kind of like you all. And then, you know, does Lane Kiffin have some magic up his sleeve? You know, can he get better on the defensive side of the ball? Because his offense. Does he want to? (laughs) Right, right. He might not even care. But they're going to like for me, Ole Miss next year is going to ruin somebody's SEC West division hopes. Like it's going to be, they're going to beat uh, LSU, uh, you know, when they're, when they're a two touchdown underdog or they're going to beat an Auburn or maybe even who knows, maybe they beat an Alabama, you know, maybe they get in a, in a shootout with them and they shock the world and, and beat them. I just can't go there and say, all right, they're going to contend for a division title just yet. So I still think it's kind of going to be the usual suspects in the West, which is very chalky, but that's all we've seen in college football is chalk, which is a major problem for the sport. So, I was looking at this for, for a piece of rope for 24-7 a couple weeks back. 15 of 22 starters for Florida were high school class of 16 or 17. Like, so that's they're almost, almost out, basically? Well, well they're all McIlwain's that, guys. Yeah. Huh. So, I mean, 15 of 22, that's, that's a pretty good number. So I, I really want to see what is Florida going to get out of those 2018 and 2019 recruiting classes. My suspicion is not as much as they hoped for. I think they've turned it around in recruiting. I like their 20 class. I like their 21 class. They just signed. Those first two classes Mullen signed, I, I don't think are that good, to be honest. And the attrition rates on those are really high, like they are for basically everybody who was a new coach in the early signing period era, you know, who wasn't like an internal hire like a Ryan Day or, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley type. So I, I do think Florida will take a step back. That's, that's a ton of experience to lose. LSU has the talent and the experience just – you wonder a little bit about in, internally, like did, did Orgeron build a team or did he build a program? Mm. Speaking of Ryan day and Lincoln Riley, we will look at what's ahead in 2021 for both of those programs and more next. So the national runner up Ohio state Buckeyes, uh, un, like one lost season a year ago. One loss season this year, two Big Ten championships, two college football playoff appearances, just two losses. Incredibly successful. You will be losing Justin Fields. You'll be losing Trey Sermon. Uh, you will be losing uh, Jonathan Cooper. I would assume Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith. A lot of pieces. Uh, even a tough Borland, I would assume, because it feels like he's been there forever. But this Ohio State team has uh, recruited at the wide receiver position. You know, we've seen some splash from like uh, Jackson Smith Jigba. We know that Garrett Wilson is going to be back for another season. So what does this, uh, is this Ryan Day finally starting to put his stamp on the Ohio State program? Like, And is there, is it possible to have a, a step back when it still seems like you're so far ahead of the rest of the Big Ten? Like what, what is the standard for success and the expectation uh, given the turnover and given where Ryan Day is and sort of his progression with the roster? Well, I, I think if we look back to this time last year, like looking at Ohio State going into 2020, you felt pretty good about most things on that roster. The question was in the secondary where they were losing a lot of their starters and they were pretty much bringing in an entire new secondary and you wondered how that would impact them. Well, we saw it had a pretty big impact on them in a lot of games this year, although they, the only one that they lost was the Alabama game. And now I, I enter this offseason with a lot more questions and concerns about this team than I did at this time last year. I, I mean, obviously, Justin Fields is the big, you know, okay, who's stepping in to replace him and how are they going to look without him? But like you just mentioned, Chip, they've got plenty of talent at the skill position. So I think that, you know, if you bring in a – whoever takes that job is going to have a wealth of options. It's C.J. Stroud, him. right? Is there? It's 
I'm assuming it's CJ Stroud. I don't think I, I think it's going to be CJ Stroud, but I don't know that they've you know handed the keys to him just yet. I think he's still going to have to earn it in the spring and in the summer. But my other concern is you mentioned all those guys on the defensive side of the ball that are leaving. That's a lot to lose on your defensive line, which was depth wise a very good front four, front seven this year for them as far as getting pressure. But the one other question is like. They didn't have a Chase Young. They didn't have a Bosa. Zach Harrison was supposed to be that guy, and he had a good season. It's just he didn't kind of – he didn't – he wasn't an elite pass rusher that we're used to seeing from Ohio State. Can Zach Harrison emerge as that? Because I think that that plays a big role in their defense too, and I think that that played a large role in their struggles in the secondary. And this is an Ohio State defense the last few years. Didn't have to cover very long because if you were covering for a couple seconds, Chase Young was already hitting the quarterback at that point. <laughs> They need somebody like that to step up and become that guy for them because that'll help their entire defense. So I have questions on both sides of the ball for them. I still think that they're far and away the most talented team in the Big Ten, which gives them a large margin of error as far as winning the conference title. It's just I am not as convinced that 2021 Ohio State is going to be national title contender worthy. I'm I'm buying the Buckeyes. Ooh, really? nice. Yeah, I, I – so – there's three teams that recruit at that like super, super elite level. It's Bama, it's Georgia, and then it's it's Ohio State. I mean, we, we had Stroud as our number three quarterback on, on 24-7 behind you know, two dudes we've already discussed on, on this pod in, in, uh, in Bryce and DJ. Really emerged with like excellent senior season. I, I, th- I think he's got the goods. I think they're going to be better at receiver, even without Chris Olave. Like, I think they're going to take a noticeable step up. Garrett Wilson's a stud. I mean, with Fleming and and uh, Smith and Jigba, those dudes are are nasty. I, I think like you get those guys in their sophomore year. I don't think there's any team in the Big Ten that can really cover them consistently. Offensive line should be, you know, I, I, probably a net neutral most mm-hmm. likely. They, like they lose Wyatt Davis, who's who's a stud, but I don't think anybody else there is irreplaceable. I, I could see Zach Harrison taking a leap. I mean, Tom's right. Like, we thought it might happen this year. It didn't. He's always been more toolsy than the dude who had crazy numbers in high school. I really like Tommy Togiai, their their interior guy who, you know, was missed the title game. Is Tyreek Smith for sure gone? Ooh. Like, did he announce he, he's gone? I don't think he's announced yet. I think a lot of people are assuming he is. I think it's going to depend on what he hears from, you know, draft-type stuff. Okay. That, that's like a, a Jim Cramer, bye, 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 if, if he comes back for me. Yeah. If not, it's just kind of like, like a single bye. Um, I think their secondary could be improved too. And they, they lose both backers, but I counted up this morning. They have nine former four-star linebackers behind these dudes. Like what are, what are the odds Ohio state doesn't find two of those four stars to emerge to, to play de- decent linebacker. I, I'm, I'm buying this team. Well, I think when you evaluate Ohio state, you kind of have to look at it like, all right, well, who, if it's not Ohio state from the big 10, then who is it? And it's really hard to make a case for anybody in the big 10. So they're going to win the conference most likely, which is going to put them in the playoff most likely, which makes them, you know, a national championship contender. I, so yeah, that's the, and that's the bar that's been set for Ryan day and for Ohio state. I absolutely think they will be in the conversation barring a shocking team that just comes out of nowhere. Um, but I think it'll kind of be one of those like, all right, I have to see them, you know, see them in the beginning of the season. Let's see what they do against Oregon. Let's see what they look like. Let's see the development of CJ Stroud. If he develops, I mean, in large part, it's quarterback driven game. If he develops and he's everything he's cracked up to be, then yeah, they'll be able to compete with anybody in the country. Yeah, And just to clarify my, my feelings about Ohio state, 
when I'm looking at them in 2021, I'm, I'm comparing them to Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, you know, the teams that are going to be they playoff teams. Because mm-hmm. I do feel like they're so far ahead of the Big Ten that I don't even like sit there and be like, oh, are they going to win? Yeah, they're going to win the Big Ten. They might screw up somewhere along the way and lose a game like to Purdue or Iowa, like they've shown a tendency to do at times in the past. It's just when it comes to comparing them to the other elite teams, that's where I start to get a little concerned. And that's where I have more questions next year. Does oh, I almost go forgot. Ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Travion Henderson. Like we, we've had rankings meetings at 24 seven where we were seriously like, I think he would start over sermon today if he wasn't still in high school, like they're signing the best <laughs> back in the country. And I think he's the best back in the country by a lot. And I'm not one of these guys like, Oh, recruits as freshmen are coming and dominate at most positions, but running back, we do see it. Yeah. Uh, he's, if you guys have not watched Travion Henderson's highlights, remember mm-hmm. these are when he was a junior, he's a year older now because Virginia didn't play. Uh, yeah. Nasty. Travion Henderson. Take it's spelled like T-R-E-V-E-Y-O-N. So if, if Google autocorrects you, go with it. Okay. <laughs> um, Penn State. How A program uh, with so much excitement and really success for a lot of the college football playoff era had a disastrous season. And the Big Ten starting late. The, uh, the other like storylines around the Big Ten were just so focused on Ohio State and the Big Ten title game, you know, in Indiana and who's going to come out of the West, all the game cancellations. The struggles fell far below the national radar. That uh, either is the beginning of uh, some real frustrations for Penn State fans who I think from what I've been able to tell, we're just kind of able to like, all right, you know what? Like this is this is one year. This is a, a crappy year. We, you know, Michael Parsons opts out. The the offense was a disaster. But if, if we go through a, a whole cycle and come back in the fall, the, there's going to be expectations for Penn State to be closer to where Penn State was for most of the college football playoff era. Like, is it the beginning of more frustrations, or do you think that we see a little bit of a snapback? Uh, a regression, which I learned thanks to uh, grammar man Matt Norlander, you can have a regression up and a regression down. Your your regression <laughs> to the mean works both ways. And so, uh, will we see Penn State regress to the mean of the James Franklin era? Can't you progress to the mean? If never mind. Um, <laughs> I for me, it all comes down to the quarterback. Like, if Sean Clifford is your quarterback next year. I can't have a lot of faith in you. I mean, I I think that you're going to be better than you were this year. You were only four and five this year. I think that the Penn State team we see in 2021 is closer to the team we saw at the end of the year compared to the team that started the season with five losses. But with the quarterback position being as important as it is in the game today and having to compete with Ohio State in that division, unless there's a major upgrade there that we don't know of yet, and maybe, you know, bringing in your to run the offense instead of Shiraka is it. Who knows? But I don't think that's the case. I, I, I just I have a hard time saying this is going to be a team that's anything other than nine and three. I think that's fair. They, 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 they did a good job in the transfer portal already. Like they I, I think losing Shaka Tony and Jason Owe are are big deals. Right. I mean, they they had like 40 something pressures in in a shortened big 10 season. Like that's, that's a big deal. That's a lot of pressure. You're getting, getting out of your ends. You're not having to blitz. They, they went, they, they got it. They already have transfers at DB from South Carolina. John Dixon, who's pretty good. Uh, you know, D D tackle. 
but yeah, I mean, quarterback is is the question, and I don't, I don't know that they have a major answer there. Mm. It's like who's in the portal they can get at quarterback. You know what I mean? Because I feel like if I'm James Franklin, that is one of my major things this offseason is I am in that portal trying to find a QB who I think can come in and be a difference maker because I just don't think that they have that guy on the roster right now. James Blackman's available. Uh, he just, <laughs> if he wants to go after him, he did. I mean, I, I think you saw James Franklin is aware of the issues on the offensive side of the ball, parting ways with Kurt Soraka, you know, going in a new direction with Mike Yersich. Like he's, go, he's trying to address this. Uh, clearly it was a failed experiment. Clearly Sean Clifford did, you know, talk about regression. He was way worse this past season than he had been early in his career. So I don't know. I, I think you'll probably barring a transfer portal. I think you probably will see more Sean Clifford. And then it's like, can you get back to the quarterback that you saw a couple years ago, as opposed to one this past season? And you got to remember like the backs, they had a lot, they had a lot they had to deal with in addition to COVID with injuries to journey Brown, Noah can like they had significant issues and I actually was impressed with the way they hung around. Like I'd be way more concerned if I was a Michigan fan and clearly they are, there were way more rumblings around Jim Harbaugh than there were about James Franklin, but his team kept hanging around, like was fighting. Like I, I think there's so there should be some optimism around Penn state, but I would probably agree. Maybe 10 wins, you know, is, is a realistic, okay, that's on the upside. We can get there. But it's not gonna. It's not gonna. You're not gonna take down Ohio State. But I think they. Could, I think Penn State could be the second best team in the Big Ten. Is uh, is Oklahoma in a position to do anything more than reclaim that spot where you are the cute Big Twelve champion who's going to come in and lose in the college football playoff semifinal? Like, are you? You're going to have one of the best offenses in the country. Spencer Rattler is going to be a Heisman Trophy finalist, or at least top five in the Heisman Trophy voting. And then you're going to get to the college football playoff semifinal, and you you might lose. Or has some of the step forward that we've seen from Oklahoma's defense first last season, and then really this season, once they finally got everybody back in, finally started to get a little bit healthier, and some of those younger guys started to uh, progress a little bit. Is this uh, is this an Oklahoma season where you're going to be buying the hype because it's they're going to be the darling. They they are going to be the team that you've got to you've got to make your decision on. You got to either say like, yep, here we go. They can compete for a national championship. They can close the gap. They've got a quarterback that Lincoln Riley recruited himself. You know, they've been there. They took those two losses. But, and Danny, you said this too, at the end of the season, they were playing like one of the four best teams. Maybe not one of the most deserving teams because of those two losses, but they were playing at a super high level. So with Oklahoma, I'm and I'm just projecting, we, the conversation could change. Lincoln Riley could go to the NFL. Spencer Rattler could transfer. Who knows? I don't think any of those things are going to happen, but are you, do, do you see yourself buying into the Oklahoma hype for 2021? I am. I'm yes. buying it. Yes. Uh, I think they're uh, the offense. You know what you're going to get, right? And uh, you know, bar, barring a Spencer Rattler transfer, uh, the Charleston Rambo thing was a little bit interesting, you know, a thousand yard receiver to sign up and leave to Miami, but who knows what that was for, but you just still Lincoln Riley's a great offensive mind, but from what you've seen with Alex Grinch is steady improvement. Like this defense was pretty good playing against, you know, these offenses that are going to put up a significant amount of points. They were second in scoring in uh, the big 12, uh, second in run defense, third in total defense within the conference. Um, So I think they're going to get better. And I think from what we've seen recently with LSU and Alabama, 
and you almost saw it at Oklahoma when they played Georgia in the Rose Bowl, you don't have to have elite level defense. You just have a defense that's good enough situationally that can, you know, get a turnover here, that can get a field goal here. If you have an offense that's special, and I think Spencer Rattler could be special next year in this offense. We, <clears throat> we, Bud, you talked about it earlier in the show about Texas A&M's defense, how that is a very good unit and why that's one of the reasons we think that it could be you know competitive in the SEC next year. And we've talked the last few years about the one reason you couldn't take Oklahoma seriously as a national title contender was because it couldn't stop anybody. Well, Texas A&M's defense this year at SP Plus finished 14th nationally. Does anybody want to guess where Oklahoma's finished? 15th. Correct. Hmm. Oklahoma's had a top 15 defense as far as SP plus this year. That is the kind of step forward. I can't remember what it was in 2019, but I know it wasn't anywhere near the top 15, but that's the kind of step forward that that defense took just in the one year with Alex Grinch getting his second season in charge there and getting things in place. And I think that it's not unrealistic to think that they can maybe not make that large of a leap, but creep up towards being a top 10 defense in that manner next season. And if you combine that Oklahoma offense with a defense that is capable of getting stops and getting off the field and getting the ball back to its offense. Yeah. That's a team that could finally not just reach the playoff, but maybe win a game while they're there. So I do think that we talked about this on Saturday or Monday night, Chip. By the time the season starts, I'm going to be so sick of the Oklahoma hype that I'll probably be picking against them at every single chance I get. But as for right now, going into the year, yes, Oklahoma is a team that can compete for the Big 12, not just the Big 12, but be a team that is going to be a national title contender in 2021. Yeah, if you're looking to bet, like national championship futures, Oklahoma's not it because they're they're already hyped up. I mean, like I, I, it's just not a great value bet to put your money aside for for nine months on on something that everybody is already recognizing. But they're recognizing for a reason, like 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 Tom said. And I, I actually went and pulled this up. If you look at the SP plus numbers before the bowl games, because I don't like putting bowl games in my analysis, but especially not this Ooh. year. Oklahoma was still 18th in defense, so they only rose up three spots at, after after basically shutting out Florida. So I'm not like it's it, it's not all based on oh they they shut down a really high powered offense there in in Florida. This receiving core is about to be sick, guys. Like they have recruited this position, and that's why Charleston Rambo left. Yes, I, I think so. I mean the, the, the suspension and and seeing some other guys creep in. They also remember Theo Howard for UCLA. Yeah. yeah. So he transferred there. He was hurt this year. Didn't play a lot. I think he's got the COVID year if he wants to be able to use that. They got him. You know, they, they, they got they got Bridges. Hazelwood got hurt this year. I mean, this is probably the best receiver room in the country outside of Columbus. And this is going to be nasty. My real concerns here are corner because they're, they're losing two good corners and offensive tackle. They're losing both those guys. But Biedenbaugh does a nice job recruiting You know, the tackle spot for them. I guess we'll see. My thing is, like, I'm very convinced that A&M is going to take another step on defense this year. I don't know if Oklahoma can take another step, but if they can just maintain this level of defense for the whole season, they, they could be a threat. Yeah, it was 2018. They were one of the worst in the country. Then 2019, they get it inside like the top 50, and now they get it inside the top 20, and just being at top 20 level is, might be good enough to be able to, uh, to accomplish all those goals. Uh, another changeover in quarterback is going to be Trevor Lawrence handing the reins to DJ Uyunglele. I've got like, I think that that Clemson team, because this was the most talented Clemson roster in program history, 
And because so much of that was from the younger classes, but I'm assuming that next year's Clemson roster is going to be again, one, maybe even more talented after the new, according to the 24 seven sports composite, like is, is there uh where, where are your concerns with Clemson next year? Because I feel like there's some big picture questions but the big picture questions don't actually have to do with the nitty gritty and winning ACC football games on Saturdays. It's more about those who you got potential playoff simulations. Um, I mean, am I wrong on that? Like where, where are you seeing uh, the personnel holes or where are your concerns for the Tigers next year? So I do think anytime you lose like one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the sport, that that's a concern. And DJ, I think is going to be really, really good. He already looked pretty damn good. Against Notre Dame and against Boston College, uh, or at least second half against Boston College. He threw for 400 yards in Notre Dame Stadium. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, Clark Lee had the right game plan. We're going to take away Travis Etienne and see if this kid can beat us. And he's like, all right, let's let's get cracking on this. Uh, Now, they lose Etienne. I don't think they have another person on on the roster who is is anywhere close to Etienne. Um, They they recruited a kid named, named Bowman out of Florida who's already transferred back home. Uh, he's going to be playing for the Gators this year. But receivers should be better. I mean, remember they lost Justin Ross. I don't know if he's going to be back for them. They, You, know, you had Nagata and Latson who, who battled injuries. They really were deficient this year, I think, at receiver. I mean, Cornell Powell stepped up and, and kind of saved their bacon. But uh, offensive line doesn't lose that much. And this is the first Clemson team, I think, that we're really going to see the – the the evidence the evidence the evidence evidence of their their like crazy like, like like three years ago they started to kick this recruiting into hyperdrive, and now we're going to start to see those those guys start to mature because before Clemson was doing it basically with quarterback edge rusher and then you know OKGs right our our kind of mm-hmm. guys and program fit not that they don't want program fit now but like their talent level is is up and with Darren Kendrick announcing he's coming back mm. unless I'm misreading this depth chart. That is 11 out of 11 guys on defense coming back for Clemson. So their defensive line, I think, is going to take a major step up with all these true freshmen they had playing this year and playing well. And those guys probably aren't going to get worse. So uh, I have very few questions about this team, other than just you got to acknowledge losing Trevor's a big deal. It's kind of like Ohio State, though. Like, you. Who's going to take them down? They can lose to Georgia. If they do, you know, that's going to be a great game. If they lose it, it's not a big deal. Like they can come back and then they can run the table. It could be one of those motivating early season losses. Um, worried at all about DJ's mobility. Are you, bud? Anybody? Because like, Trevor was mobile. And now the offensive line got exposed. And he made up for a lot of that throughout the season. He is a threat with his legs. I didn't see that from DJ. I don't know if he's got it in him, but I, I haven't seen it yet. He looks a little bit bigger, you know, a little bit slower. I mean, Trevor's Trevor. He's a once-in-a-generation type quarterback. It's the only thing I get a little bit concerned about. He's like a Dante Culpepper type of runner to, to right. throw it back. I mean, if you stand next to DJ, <laughs> DJ, like I remember being at the Nike camp, and, and he didn't win the MVP because he was hurt that, that year in, in Cali, but like he's standing next to the kid who won the defensive end MVP – and DJ's a lot bigger than him. I mean, he's he's probably legit two fifty, uh, and six four and a half, six five. So, like, he's a different kind of runner. But I, right. I don't think he's got that same pocket mobility that Trevor had. I, when you look at their depth chart, like you said, you you can't. Trevor Lawrence is Trevor Lawrence, and it's going to be hard to replace him. But I do think that they're still talented enough that they're going to be just fine. You like. Because you look at that depth chart, you see a whole lot of sophomores and freshmen. 
<laughs> so it's like most of that team is back next year. And like you just also mentioned, Danny, when you look at the ACC, it's like, well, who's the threat? I mean, Notre Dame is not going to be in the conference next year. And you look at their non-con, and yes, they've got the Georgia and South Carolina games, and their other two non-con games are South Carolina State and UConn, who are the New York Times national champions. But when you look at their conference schedule this next year, they've got home dates with Boston College, Florida State, Georgia Tech, and Wake Forest. Okay. Their road games are Louisville, NC State, Pitt, and Syracuse. Like, what game are they losing? Pit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Only, only, and I'm sorry, Clemson, because it would be hilarious if you go to the big mustard <laughs> bottle and take an L to Pat Narduzzi. But you're right, not losing. Yeah, I, I look at this team and I feel like they've got that Georgia test early. But after that game, I feel like they've got 11 games to get ready for the playoff. You know what I mean? To figure things out if there's anything that needs to be figured out. There's going to be a I, there. The only prediction I would have is the score in the Georgia game might matter if they did lose it, because man, you talk about resumes. It is going to be one of those years when Clemson does not have many resume building wins on there. There's a good chance they get a resume building win in the AC title game though. Yes. Miami Great. or North Which, Carolina. One of those two, probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see anybody else uh, from the, uh, the coastal getting in there. But are you buying into the North Carolina hype? As a nat- as like a national title team, no. Hell but as no. like a le- yeah, 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 like as a legit top ten team, yeah. I mean, you you have you have a very good quarterback in Sam Howell. I think they're going to be better uh, along both lines of scrimmage. And th- this year, I, I shout out to the Inside Carolina podcast, which is one of the ones I manage for our network. I mean, they do a really good job uh, of, of detailing stuff and all, all off season. They're like. Man, we're thin on both lines of scrimmage. If they get any injuries, we're 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 in trouble. Um, I think they're going to be much better along the lines of scrimmage next year. Max recruited well. I think they'll you'll start to see some of that, especially with some of those young defensive linemen stepping up. Receiver, I'm just not that worried about receiver in this offense. I, I think guys will make plays. Running back is is a concern for sure because of how much they relied on those guys this year. But I, I think this team will be better than it was this year. Yeah, I mean, going into this season, Chip, when we were talking about North Carolina, I I was talking about how I felt like the hype was a year too early. And clearly they had a very good season and it it wasn't too early. But I've been all along. I felt like 2021 was going to be the season that we really saw North Carolina kind of take that step forward. So if that holds true, then, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm with you. But this isn't a national title contender, but it is a team that could be a top 10 team and could be a legitimate threat to Clemson if it gets to the ACC title game. And I think it has a very real shot of doing so. Quality win, potentially. Uh, that's, you know, that's that's the treat that you get when you or live Or quality in, loss. Or quality. <laughs> he is Tom Fernelli. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all.